genius. Hamlet suffers from the inability to love. And Dostoevsky and the brothers Karamazov says, hell is defined by those who suffer from the inability to love. Well, American culture more and more becomes a joyless quest for pleasure, insatiable pleasure, never get enough of it, endless, bottomless, and the inability to really be committed to love because love is a form of death and you have to learn how to die in order to learn how to love. That's why the New Testament says what Christians must die daily. Die daily. Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad that uh, you are here today and we can gather in this place. Uh, once again, it's uh, such a joy to be here. And if it's your first time with us, if you're a returning guest, if you're watching online, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here and we hope that you'll find what so many of us have found, that this place really is a place uh, you can come home to, a place where you can belong. All month long we've been talking about this idea. What does it mean to love different? And it's, it's Black History Month and it's been an, an incredible month for me personally. And I, and I hope for us as a church to maybe listen to, to some important voices uh, about, about this idea of love. Uh, voices like Martin Luther King Jr., like uh, Maya Angelou, and then today from, from Cornell West. I, I think Cornell West is right when he says this, that love is a form of death, and you have to learn how to die in order to learn how to love. That's why the New Testament says, what? Christians must die daily, die daily. What does it mean to love different? Uh, this past week, uh, I was really blessed, I get to do this a couple of times a year, uh, to go up to Lake Dallas to a monastery and spend a day on a spiritual retreat. Uh, while I was there, I was reminded of this, uh, this, great, this great story about a young man who decided he wanted to become a monk. And so he went to a nearby monastery and met with the, the head guy in charge, the abbot, and said, I'd like to, I'd like to become a monk. And so the abbot said, that, that's great. Uh, that's fantastic. I'll show you uh, to your, your room. I'll, I'll give you a, your, your new robes. I'll tell you what your daily tasks are. Uh, but the way you're going to begin is you're going to learn uh, through the, the spiritual practice of silence. So for the next three years, we want you to begin by practicing silence. At the end of each year, you can come back to me and you can, you can say one thing. So the first year went by, and sure enough, the young man came back, and he found the office of the abbot, and he walked in his door, and he said, cold rooms. He left the office, went on about his work. Year two went by, and sure enough, after year two, he came back to the abbot's office, and he said, bad coffee. He walked out. The next year went by. Year three went by, and he came back to the abbot's office. This is after three years of silence, and he walked into the abbot's office, and he said, cold showers. And then he said, I don't think I can do this anymore. To which the abbot replied, that's good because all you've done is complain since the day you got here. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but it, it made me wonder this question. And it's something I've been thinking about all week as I've been praying and planning for our time to get together today. What do you want to be remembered for? What do I want to be remembered for? Some of you know, you'll remember that just a few weeks ago, the New Orleans Saints played the L.A. Rams in the NFC Championship game. Uh, they the, the, the New Orleans Saints lost that game. It was quite the hot topic of conversation. If you're a football fan, you know about this. Towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter, uh, the referees missed a pretty blatant pass interference call that more than likely changed the outcome of the game, and the Saints 
lost the game, and of course it was all the rage on the radio. Uh, fans for the Saints were outraged, threatening to sue the NFL and all this crazy stuff. And, and, and you get all that because it was such a, such a, a bad miscall in so many ways. But there was another headline that caught my attention after the game. Long after the game was over, after all the players left the field, the reporters were gone, the fans had, had all headed home or on their way. Drew Brees, the uh, highly respected and well-known quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, made his way back down to the field. There was still a reporter there named Diana Rossini, and she took this photo with her cell phone. It's a picture of Drew Brees on his hands and knees, tying the shoes of one of his sons. And after that, you can see him on the field, long after everyone is gone, after a devastating loss, more than likely due to a miscall by a referee that that removed the possibility of him playing now towards the end of his career in another Super Bowl. What's he doing after the game? He's playing football with his kids. He was interviewed and he said this, Drew Brees said, the first thing I did after the game was go upstairs, see my family, and then take my kids down on the field and let them play because that's what we do after every game. So why should this be any different? It's kind of the thrill of their week to have the chance to do that. Just threw balls to my kids on the Superdome turf, was their holder as they kicked extra points. I was dad. I don't know if his kids will ever remember that that was the night that their dad was on the team that lost this incredible game of incredible significance that, that took away the opportunity for him to play in the Super Bowl. But you know what? I don't think his kids will ever forget that they got to play football with their dad on an NFL field after a playoff game that night. What do you want to be remembered for? What do we want to be remembered for? I, I think it's an important question for, for us individually, but also for us collectively. Like, what are the things that we want to be known for as a church? You know this, that more and more church and churches are known for all the wrong things. We're known we're known for what we're against. If you were to go ask somebody outside these four walls who doesn't go to church, who isn't a part of a church, what are churches for, they'll probably begin by telling you all the things that they know that churches are against. This is what churches are known for. We're known for what we're against. We're known sometimes as complainers. People see us on Facebook, they follow us on social media, and they see all the things that, that we complain about, all the things that we don't like, that sometimes we're known as complainers. We're known more and more. Check the headlines any week you want. And you'll see another church scandal pop up. You'll see something that someone did, something that someone in church leadership did, and it's been in the dark for so long, and now it's brought to the light, and now church or churches at large are known for different scandals that have gone on. And it's horrific, and it's terrible, and I wish it wasn't true. I'm glad, personally, it's being brought to the light, and it's not being kept in the dark anymore. But if you were to ask someone outside these four walls, someone who doesn't belong to a church, what is a church known for? They're likely to tell you something like that. And they're also probably going to say, well, really, churches only, the only time you go to a church is when you, when you have it all together. Because when you walk in the door, they're going to ask you the question, how are you doing? And the response they want to hear back is, fine, how are you? And so don't go there unless you're fine. If you're not fine, don't go. Make sure you're fine before you go. If you're not fine, don't go. When you get there, you got to be fine because they're going to ask you, how are you doing? And all they want to know is that you're fine. If you're not fine, that's not what they signed up for. So make sure you're fine before you get there. But the truth is, you know, that more often than not, we're not fine. We don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out. We're not perfect. 
And some days we got more questions than answers and more problems than we know how to solve. What are we known for? You know what the problem is, is if this is what we're known for, then we'll never be able to reach the community around us with the message of the good news of the love of Jesus Christ. The truth is, we should be. We should be the most joy-filled people on the planet because, because we've experienced. We know. We have tasted. We have seen the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. If we're here in this room today, chances are at some point in your life, you experienced the incredible love that God has for you through Jesus. We should be people that, that are known for the love and the joy that just leaps out of our lives because we've experienced this incredible love for God. But more often than not, we're known for all the wrong things. This is, I think this is precisely the problem that the church in Corinth was having. Uh, all month long, we've been talking about uh, the church in Corinth and 1 Corinthians 13, maybe the greatest text ever written on love. And we've been trying to walk through that slowly together as we lean into this idea and this question, what does it mean to love different? But I think at a very fundamental level, this was the problem for the church in Corinth. They were becoming known for all the wrong things. They had been given incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of coming to know God more and for the purpose of making him known to those around them. But they were using those gifts to make a name for themselves. They were arguing and fighting over which gift they thought was the most important, which they thought was the most prominent, the most special. And they were all angling to be people who had those gifts so that they could be known as the greatest. And so now Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, also, by the way, the person who planted, who started this church in Corinth, is now in Ephesus. He's in modern-day Turkey, and he hears about what's going on in the church in Corinth. Long before cell phones and social media, word gets to him what's happening back in this church that three years ago he started. He had lived in Corinth for a year and a half, and he had loved this church. He had served this church. He had led this church. He had nurtured this church. He had grown this church. And then he had left and moved on to do the same thing in other places. Now it's three years later, and Paul gets word about what's happening in the church in Corinth. And they're becoming known for all the wrong things. And so he writes this letter, 1 Corinthians 13, to the church in Corinth. And he says, listen. You're becoming known for all the wrong things. You're striving for all the wrong things. You're, you're, you're going after, you're pursuing things that won't even last. They don't really even matter, not in the way that you think they do. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll start in verse 8 today. And here at this part, I want you to listen again to what Paul says as he's trying to to speak the truth in love to this group of people that he knows and loves. But they've gotten this, this one idea out of alignment. He's trying to bring it back into focus. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, these spiritual gifts that you have been given by God's Holy Spirit for this finite time and for a very specific purpose, you need to know they will become useless. In other words, you have received these spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit of God for this moment in time, for a very finite time, a very specific time, and for a very specific purpose. But there's going to come a day when, when they're, they're useless. And so if that's what you're striving for, you're striving for things that won't last, you're striving for, for, for things that, 
that don't really matter. And in the end, it's the wrong thing to be going after. Verse 9, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only one part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Again, these spiritual gifts of knowledge and prophecy, even though you've received them for this moment, at best, even though they're gifts from the Holy Spirit, they're going to be limited because of your human weakness, because because of your, your temporary and finite situation. One day, it won't be partial. One day, it won't be incomplete. But right now, it is. It is. And so he says in verse 11, When I was a child... And I spoke like a child. I thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. It's time. It's time for you to grow up. You're living for your own name. You're living for your own fame. That's what kids do. Pretty much every kid I talk to wants to become famous, right? My kids would love nothing more than to become a famous baseball player, a famous dancer, and a famous singer in that order, right? (laughs) That would be awesome. You know, that's what kids want. Kids want to become famous. They want to become known, and they think that can happen because we see the famous people around us, and it seems attainable, and it seems real. But at some point, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you realize, oh, wait a minute. There's another name we're living for. There's another name we're striving for. To make known, and Paul tells the church in Corinth, it's time to grow up. You're living for your own name. You're living to make your own name known, but it's time for you to grow up and start living for the name of another. Verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, one day, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. The day is coming. And I I think Paul thought it was right around the corner. The day is coming when you're going to figure all this out. When Jesus returns, and then you will be completely known. You will know and you will be completely known. And all of this will become crystal clear. Because on that day when Jesus returns, you will see what matters most. And Paul said it. We skipped it, by the way. If you're following along in your Bible or in your scripture, you probably realize I I missed part of verse 8 because I wanted to back up to it. Paul tells them there's one thing that's going to last. There's one thing that matters more than any temporary spiritual gift you may have been given by the Holy Spirit of God. There's one thing that you should be striving for. There's one thing that's above every other thing that is eternal. In verse 8, Paul said it this way. Love will last forever. Another translation says, love never fails or love never dies. Love remains. Yeah, you're chasing after power. You're chasing after spiritual gifts. You're chasing after prominence and self-importance and notoriety but you're striving after all the wrong things there's one thing you should strive for one thing that will remain one thing that does last and it raises the question i think we got to take a quick time out and ask this question right should we strive for spiritual gifts you know what the answer is 
Yes. Absolutely. And I don't know if you think in those terms, I'm not sure if you're praying for this, I would encourage you to do this. We should be striving for the spiritual gifts available to us through the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because that is, that is God's gift to us for two purposes. One, so that we can come to know him more fully. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can come to a more intimate knowledge and relationship with him, with himself. And two, so that we can, we can take this good news, this love of, the, of Jesus, and share that with others. So that we can point others to him. God gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can grow in our knowledge of God and our relationship with him. And so we can point other people to him. We should absolutely be praying for, striving for, desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the church, for the spread of his gospel, and for the glory of his great name. Absolutely. If you are not currently praying for God to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit, start praying that prayer. God, give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever gift you want to give me. Yes, Lord. Because I want to grow in my relationship with you, and I want to point other people to you. We should strive for those spiritual gifts, but, but all that's useless all that's pointless, all that's meaningless without love. And Paul says, here's what you have to strive for. If you're going to chase after one thing, if you really want to go for what matters most, go for this. Love. Love. And what does love do? Love seeks to use the gifts it's been given to know God and to point other people to God. This is what love does. This is the activity of love. But the only way to do that, the only way to do that is to be willing to die. And that's the question on the table today for you. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to lay down everything? Your preferences, your opinions, the way you like things. Are you willing to lay down the resources and the things that God has given you? Are you willing to sacrifice whatever it takes in the service of love? Jesus was. Jesus was. In John 15, we find these red letters. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is short, shortly before he was arrested, beaten, stripped, and crucified. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. And this is my command. This is it. This is the whole enchilada. Love each other. This is the way of love. It's the way of death. So all month long, if you've been walking through this with us, then you know that we've been praying this breath prayer. It's a real simple breath prayer. It says, Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. 
And if you've been praying that prayer, I don't know if you realize what you've been praying, but what you've been praying is this, Lord, help me love, help me die. Help me sacrifice even my life for the person you've put in front of me. Help me love who you love, the way you love. How did Jesus love? He laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus says, this is my command to love each other. And the way of love is the way of death. And what happens is when we love this way, when this is what we're known for, when people look at the church and, and they realize this is who we are and this is what we know, we're known for, they always come back with the same question. Why? Why did you do that? Why, why did you love that way? Why did you love so extravagantly? Why are you a people of uncommon generosity? Why? And that's our opportunity to point them to Jesus. There was another story here locally that grabbed the headlines in the Dallas News. You may have seen this story. Back around Christmas is when it happened. The Royce City First United Methodist Church here in Dallas, every, every year of Christmas Eve, they have a Christmas Eve uh, worship gathering, and, and they take a, an offering during that time, and then they give that offering, whatever it is, they give the whole thing away to charity. So two years ago in 2017, at their Christmas Eve uh, worship, they gathered an offering, and, and they gave half the money to a nonprofit, and the other half, uh, they knew the elementary school right down the street had some students who were struggling to pay uh, their lunch balance. And so they paid off the lunch balance of every kid in that school. And it made them wonder, I wonder if we could do this for the entire ISD, for the entire Dallas ISD. What they found out is that, at least in the Dallas ISD, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but I think it's when you get, uh, when you run up a tab of around 20 or 25 bucks, when, when that much is gone uh, without payment, uh, that you no longer receive a hot meal. Kids will still receive a sandwich, some fruit, and a carton of milk, but they don't receive a hot meal anymore. And so this church asked the question, do you think we could raise enough money to pay off the school debt of every kid who has a tab of $20 or more in the Dallas ISD? So this past Christmas, Christmas 2018, when they gathered for worship, uh, that was their goal. Pastor Chris Everson, the pastor of their church, had, had asked them this question a few months before, a few weeks earlier. Hey, whatever it is you spend on Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner, what if you just set that money aside and instead we just gave that so that we can pay off the debts of all the kids in the Dallas ISD who are behind in their lunch payments? So just a few months ago, during their Christmas Eve worship gathering, they, they passed the baskets and this church took up $10,000. And with that money, they were able to pay off the lunch balance for 226 families in Dallas ISD. Now, before you think this is some megachurch here in Dallas, this is a church of 200 members who decided that they wanted to do something to make a difference. They saw a local need, and they took quiet action. But it made public headlines. Why? Because the world doesn't understand this kind of love. They don't get it. And whenever they see it, they always ask the same question. Why? Why would you? You could have done so much for yourselves. <laughs> you could have done so much in other ways. Why? Because this is the way we love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the same way I, I feel when I see these posts 
on our local Coppell Police Department's Facebook page. You may have seen this. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. They posted this picture and said, Our thanks go out to the Riverside Church of Christ for the great lunch they served us yesterday. Everyone loves tacos, and cops are no different. <laughs> Don't you love that? We didn't post that. They posted that. And I love that. Why? That's just one of the many ways I feel like we're trying to love different here in our community, in our context. And when the world sees that, they ask, like, why? Why are you doing that? And then that's our opportunity to tell them and to point them to Jesus. I don't know about you. I get asked about that quite often by people in our community. Hey, I saw this. Do you, what are y'all doing over there? And I get to tell them. I get to tell them about us, but I also get to tell them about why. And that's when I get to tell them about Jesus. You see, this is the reason we love the way we love. And this was Paul's entire point to the church in Corinth. You're striving after the wrong things. You're being known for all the wrong things. The spiritual gifts, the abilities, the talents, the resources, everything that you've been given by God, they've all been given to you for one purpose, for one reason, and that's so that you can know God and make Him known. We live to know God and make him known. So yes, absolutely strive for, desire, pray for the spiritual gifts given by God's Holy Spirit. May God give you those gifts, but for this purpose, so that you can live to know him more and then to make him known. This is what we're striving for. This is who we are. This is what we want to be known for as a people who love different, who live to know God and to make him known. But in order to do that, it means we have to learn how to die. How to sacrifice even our lives in the service of love for the sake of others. That means we have to walk into every conversation, every interaction, even with telemarketers. (laughs) With this higher purpose in mind. Love. Love. Lord, help me love who you love, the way you love. So each week we've, we've given you sort of a next step, a way to put this love into action, and today's no different. In the moment we're going to stand, and I'll have some people walk down the aisles and pass out some cards as a reminder, but, but here's the challenge this week. Here's how I would love for you to put love into practice, love into action. Take some time this week, and let's spend time with maybe someone you don't know very well, with the entire purpose to listen, to learn, and to love. And maybe that means that it could be this simple. After we're done today, a lot of you are going to lunch. Look across the room and grab someone that you haven't had lunch with before. Go to lunch with someone. We're all going to Roses anyway. Sit at a different table with somebody you haven't sat with before. With the entire purpose of learning and listening and loving that person. Jesus said, the world around you will know you by your love. Your love for each other and your love for me. So we have to learn to love each other better. So let's do that. Let's put that into practice. Maybe that's as simple as this week you're grabbing coffee with someone that you haven't just ever sat down with before and say, hey, let's get together. Let's get to know each other. Let's practice this way of loving different. Hey, listen, we can stay in our lanes. We can all keep going life as usual. But I think Jesus is calling us to live life a little bit differently, and that means that we love differently. And that begins with us loving each other differently. And then that carries over into us living a life that lives to know God. And to make him known. Hey, church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. I want to ask those people who've been asked to pick those cards, go ahead and make your way down the aisles and pass those out if you don't mind. And 
Let that be a reminder to you this week to pray the breath prayer, but also to take this next step, to sit down with someone you don't know very well and, and, and get to know them better and spend that time together. What do we want to be known for? Hey, let's not be remembered uh, for how often we complained. And let's not be remembered for our wins or our losses. Let's be remembered for the way we loved. One day we will see Jesus. One day we will see love. And Jesus isn't going to ask us about our trophies. He's not going to have any questions about our successes or maybe even our failures. He's going to ask us one thing. Did you live to know me and make me known? Were you willing to die? Were you willing to lay down your life for your friends? Because at the end of it all, only one thing remains. And that's love.